God is worthy of our praise. I'm going to talk to you today about a subject that's uh, important for every church. In fact, I don't know of a church that doesn't need to hear this sermon. And here's the title of the message, How to Unify the Church. If you haven't noticed this, churches are divided in their allegiances and their positions and their politics and sometimes their doctrine. They're divided in their music, they're divided in their style and substance, and we shouldn't be that way. In his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sand writes this and quotes 2 Peter chapter 1, and he says, add to your faith, add to your faith. And he says, be diligent to add to your faith, make every effort to add to your faith. And he says that it's a, it was a word that was used during the time of gladiators, which, would, which they would say, hey, be diligent, add to your strength, and do everything you can to stay alive today. If you're a gladiator, you knew the importance of that. So too, every Christian must agonize for peace and unity. We must want to be one. Make every effort in our attempts. But often we fall short of what Paul has in mind. The business of unity in the church is a matter of life and death. Pastor Dave McFadden says it like this, Without unity, Christians die spiritually. The great sequoias of California have a shallow root system. And a tour guide once pointed out the roots just barely go beyond the surface. And that sounds impossible for those great trees, if you've seen pictures or seen them, that they could withstand their life in all the wind and drought without deep roots. But what he said was unique was these trees grow in groves, in fellowship. And they intertwine with each other. Their limbs interconnect. And when the strong winds blow, they hold each other up. And that's the way a church is supposed to be. That's the way a church is designed. pastor says there that without unity, the Christians die spiritually. Without unity, churches die literally. He writes, The worst threats of church that he has ever encountered were from within and not without. External pressures are like water on a grease fire, causing the church to intensify and spread. But internal strife and bickering is like AIDS that comes inside and, and completely drains the strength and vitality of the church. We've got to get it together. He says finally that without unity, unbelievers die eternally. When the British French were fighting in Canada in 1750, the Admiral Phipps, the commander of the British fleet, was told that to anchor outside Quebec. He was given orders to wait for the British and land and, and then for the forces to arrive and then support would come for them when they attacked the city. But Fitz, but his navy arrived early, and the admiral waited, and he became annoyed at the statues of the saints in that area, saints and the churches in the, and in the community. So he ordered his gunners to be able to start firing at the saints and knocking down the statues. And they'll tell how many they finally knocked down or knocked down or injured. But when the land forces arrived and the signal was given to attack, the admiral was of no help because he had used all his ammunition shooting at the saints. we got to not do that. This is our fellowship, folks. We stay together. We love each other. And so I want to challenge you today to look at Acts chapter 15, a passage that talks to us about the church and directs us toward unity. We don't have to be identical. But we have to agree on the, the passage and the Bible teaching, teaching that tells us what we're supposed to be as a church. Look at Acts chapter 15. And I'm just going to read one verse, and then you keep your Bibles open, and then I want to refer to different verses throughout this, this sermon today. Acts chapter 15, and we're going to look, if you will, at verse 15. And it says this, 
And the words of the prophets agree with this. Underline this. Agree with this. As it is written. The church has a unified message. One message. And we ought to know that message. The message isn't to keep our doors open. The message is not to just to make everything shine and shiny and bright and beautiful. The message is to deliver the gospel. That's the message. David Jeremiah said recently that the church today doesn't know what it believes about the message of Christ. He said the average church says, we don't know, we don't want to know, let's come together and celebrate what we don't know. The key to a, a strong church is understand, understanding what this book says. What does the Bible say? And when you look at your problems, your projects, and your passions, and your priorities, you begin to base those not by how you feel, not by some style, not by religion, not by the Southern Baptist Convention. You base it on what the Bible says. That's the unified message. And the words of the prophets agree with this. There would never be a book in the Bible if God's Spirit didn't say, let's get it together. There wouldn't be 66 books. There'd be 166 or 33 or 19 or no Old Testament, we agree. The Bible is not a divided message, a dividing message. Rather, it's a unifying message. The old song, we are one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirits with the Spirit of the Lord. We are one in the bond of love. And so the strength of the church is like the sequoias. They stay together and they hold together, and we stay together because we love each other. This is a fellowship. We are family, amen? It's got to be that way. When you look at this text and we break it down and we don't have time to look at all of it in detail, but let me just say in this text you'll see a few things. You'll see in verse 9 that God chose to deliver his message to everybody. God is not a respecter of persons. And I know the whole thing about who God chooses and who God doesn't choose is out there and debated about there. All I can say is this, God's not a respecter of persons and he makes no distinction. And the Bible says he made no distinction between us and them. And the church shouldn't say, it shouldn't be filled with people on this is the us side and this is the them side. Us and them. Verse 9, he made no distinction. We've made Christianity a battle between those who agree with us and those who don't agree with us. And let me say this, we have to make sure that God needs to cleanse our church from these attitudes. God reaches more than just Baptist people. Soon I went to her uncle's services last week. I was missed on Wednesday. Brian preached, and I heard he did a great job, and thanks, Brian, for preaching. But we were there at the fu funeral at the First Presbyterian of San Antonio, a big church, a high church, with the organ in the balcony, and people sing from the balcony, and with a podium that they, you, you can speak here, but if you're preaching the Word of God, you get in the high podium, if you know those kind of churches. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm going to be very uncomfortable there, you know, because this is like weird, you know. I mean, this is not Baptist. But let me tell you something. From that pulpit and from those people and from the speakers there at Uncle George Thomas's service, the gospel of Christ was magnified and glorified. And if you were there and you needed to be saved, you could have been saved. I rejoice. Pray for the First Baptist Church, First Presbyterian. I get that right. And First Baptist Church of, of San Antonio. In fact, I tell people that Brian, when he was young, couldn't even say Presbyterian. He called it Pebestranians. No offense there, but, uh, but, but, but listen, even the Pebestranians can have the gospel, folks. Let's not fight each other. I'm, in fact, is, I like what Jerry, Jerry Falwell said. He said, who do we relate to? Who do we fellowship with in the gospel? And he says, I am a friend to everyone who is a friend and believer of Jesus Christ, no matter what their church sign says. 
And we have to get it together broader than just what's in that fellowship. We have to connect to other people outside these buildings who believe in Jesus and applaud them and encourage them and follow them and motivate them. He chose to deliver his message to all people. The Bible says in verse 11 that he chose to deliver the message for us to discover the message. On the contrary, verse 11, we believe and we're saved through grace. We're not saved because we learned it and studied it and mastered it. We're saved by the grace of God that found us. And the grace of God found Jerry at 3806 June Drive in Oak Cliff all those years ago, back when I was 17, and that grace has still got my heart. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, those who come to God must believe that he is. We must choose to believe. We must choose to declare his message, a unified message. It says in verse 15, as it is written, we, we, don't, we don't deliver a manual of beliefs. Years ago, somebody sent a, ma- a manual to Billy Graham and said, this is the manual we're following. I hope you're pleased with how we're following this. He said, I appreciate you writing a manual. I'd prefer you use the book. The book. Our message is the message of God. Our message is the message of Scripture. And the message of the church is the same. We tell people about Jesus. There's a song that was originally produced by the Williams brothers and then recently re-released by the Casting Crowns group. And if you heard the song, you know what I'm about to say. They say in the song, because I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Folks, we have to unify under that message because we're all just nobodies. and We all should be telling everybody about the somebody who saved our soul. What unifies the church is the message, not the doctrine, not the history, not the strategy. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to get along. The message of the church should be right and clear. I read this story about a man who found himself on a deserted island, thrown off a ship, and nobody there but himself. And, and finally, years later, years later, somebody actually accidentally came upon that, upon that deserted island, and they found him. And when they found him, they saw just off beyond the beach, there were three huts, three huts that he had constructed. And the people who rescued him says, I just have a question. What are the three huts for? He said, well, the one in the middle, that's my home. The one on the left, that's my church where I attend. And they said, what's the other hut? He said, that's the church I used to go, but I couldn't get along with the membership. <laughs> Folks, we've got to get along. I'm not saying we just, just become plastic, just agreeable to everything. We have different opinions. You're going to see that later. But under the message of Jesus Christ, we get along. And the second thing we see, clearly taught in chapter 15, is the church has not only a unified message, it has a unified morality. He says in verse 20, we should abstain from idols. You can read the whole text. He talks about strangling animals. And basically that says that you should be careful how you kill an animal, that you do it with respect and you make sure you clean it right before you eat it because often the people back there would eat meat that would be unclean. And, and they had these big rules, especially the Pharisees would say, don't eat meat and do all this stuff about idol worship and all this. But we, the bottom line is we should abstain for that which is wrong. Not everything is right for a believer. 
We have a moral assignment to the church. And the church that forgets its moral assignment is mistakenly wrong when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to God. There are some things we believe in and we should not bend on. Sure, we have grace. I know what the Bible says in, in Corinthians that the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Sure, we'd have a Spirit. And I want to say this. Sure, anybody can be forgiven of any sin. But to, to constantly practice one sin over and over again and say that it's not a sin is not biblically accurate. Same is true of believers. We've got to work on this individually. So we ask the question, so what's so important about morality? This is a serious issue for the modern church. Dr. Paige Patterson, the former president of Southwestern Seminary, said this once about morality. We cannot declare right what God Almighty has declared wrong. And we can try to cave into it so we can reach more people. Listen, nobody can build the church like God. We stand behind His Word, and He'll bring the people if we stand on moral principles. First, if you look at this, they break down in chapter 15, verse 1 through 5. It talks about the, the customs prescribed by Moses, as we said earlier about the killing of animals and different kind of feed, food and stuff like that. Morality is not based, folks, on trends or tradition. It's based on truth. What is true today is true. Morality is not based on license. The Gentiles in Acts came to Christ not understanding moral conviction. The Pharisees were big into morality. And they were tempted. And, they, and when they got, saw these Gentiles coming to the church, they said, we better clean them up. They're a little rough around the edges. And the Pharisees were tempted to clean the Gentile believers up. But let me just say this. Somebody said it like this. God is the only one who can clean the fish he catches. No one can change you like God. You don't need a brother to say, get it right. You need God the Holy Spirit and you need to surrender his spirit to live according to the, the way he says to do and what the Bible says. Morality is not based on, on, on legalism. It's not based on license. But morality is based on liberty. Romans 6, 14 says this, we are not under the law, but grace. Hey, what that says, that if you study the, the difference between law and grace, salvation by law was performance, salvation by grace is receiving it. And when you look at it, grace is not a lower law than the law itself. It's rather a higher law. Here's what Jesus said. If somebody asks you for a coat, you give it. If somebody asks you to walk a mile, you walk an extra mile. Grace calls you to a higher level of living, not a lower level of living. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 6. You've been liberated from your sins. Liberated, set free. The church should preach moral responsibility. And secondly, the church should proclaim to every believer. And I want you to know this. You're not morally accountable to this church. But you are morally accountable to God who started this church. His church. Read an old story about a man, just a story, made up story about a man who tried to save Sodom and Gomorrah. Didn't work too good for Abraham. Uh, tried to save Sodom and Gomorrah, that sinful city of the Old Testament. And some of the people around him, as he, as he began to preach against Sodom and Gomorrah's sin, they, some of the people came up to him and said, Hey, brother, why bother yourself? Why bother everyone? You will never change them and their sin. His reply. If I shout and I scream against sin, at least it will prevent them from changing my heart. You and I have to take a stand 
for moral responsibility. Thirdly, the church is not only unified in its message and its moral responsibility, the church is unified in its mission. Look at verse 36. In fact, I want to read this. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 36. I kind of just read a little bit of this until the end of the chapter. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. What a great thing to say. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. And John Mark, there are different opinions there. I believe he's the one who, according to, not tradition, but according to scripture, he's the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and gone, to the, gone away from the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, but Barnabas took Mark and with, with him sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed. And after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Sicilia and strengthening the churches. And I want you to keep in mind John Mark. I want you to keep in mind John Mark. He said, let's go back. Sometimes for the sake of the unity, and I'm going to make some hard statements here for myself and for some of us in this room. Sometimes for the sake of unity, we have to go back before we can go forward and completely deal with some of the things that hurt us in the past. I'm raising my hand, folks. It's really hard to go forward when there's pain that troubles you at night and keeps you awake and makes your knees meet weak when you preach really hard to go forward. But he said, let's go back. Let's go back and see the brothers and sisters and see how they're doing. Let's check on them. This was, in my opinion, the, the first thing we ever see of a follow-up program. We, they won them to cross. Let's go back and check with them. And by the way, you influence somebody to cross, don't leave them on the curb. You go back and check with them. Sometimes we've got to put it in reverse to go back to see what's needed before we can go forward. A man recently told me, he said, he was struggling with his church. In fact, it was in San Antonio. He said, I'm struggling with my church. He said, my church has become too inward. Everybody comes to church with what they can get out of it. Everybody comes to church with how they can do this or that and how the church is doing, and they evaluate the church. But he said, the church is missing one thing. The people in the church don't have a mission. They surely come to worship, Sure, they come to sing. Sure, they come and listen to sermons. But they're not engaged, informed, and enlightened, and energized to go out and tell other people about Jesus. I'm looking for a church that wants to win the world to Christ. Aren't you? Aren't you? What's the mission of Valley Park? God's looking for a church like Valley Park that wants to engage in his mission, reaching people for Christ. We have empty seats here. It doesn't have to be that way. Let's fill them together by God's grace. So what's the mission of the church? God's telling us to go to people, not places. Invest in people, not programs. People-centered ministry. I think we have a threefold message. Our, message is to reach, our mission is to reach people. He said, let's go back and see the people. They didn't go back to see the buildings. They didn't go back to see the old town. They went back to see the people, to see the people. The mission of the church is to remind them of the mission. 
Sometimes we have to do that. Don't, don't you have to be reminded? You, you, you forget your, you haven't shared your faith in a while. You hear somebody talk about evangelism. And you think, oh, man, I better go back and do that again. You find you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. We need to keep the mission fresh to remind people of the gospel. In fact, it is 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, therefore, Paul said to therefore Timothy, I want you to rekindle, set on fire the gift that's in you. What was his gift? His gift was given by God to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to say to everybody sitting in these seats today, I want to set you on fire to rekindle your life in sharing Christ as the main purpose of you as a believer. Your purpose isn't just to come to worship. Your purpose is to deliver the gospel. And mine's the same. And if we start doing that, we change the world. We change Farmer's Branch. We change everybody in this church today. He said, I recall of your sincere faith. You cannot do it without sincerity. It cannot be just because you just said, the preacher said do it. You've got to want to do it. I remember there was a guy named Jay Palmer I went to school with, church with, and he's always saying, hey, let's go out and win souls tonight. Let's go out and win souls tonight. Finally, Mel, his youth minister, said this. He said, why don't you go out and win souls? Don't wait for anybody else. Go out. Our mission was to remind people of the mission. Our mission is to restore those who should carry the mission? Paul and Barnabas had a dispute, verse 39, over John Mark. What was the dispute over? Well, John Mark had left them on something and deserted them. And the dispute was really amazing thing. It was, the Bible calls it a sharp dispute, an argument in the early church. Can you imagine that? And then we're surprised when we have them these days. An argument happened. And it was over the fact that he was not loyal, that he had, he had, he had left them. We should never let our challenges prevent us from being faithful to our mission. I want to say that again. We should never let our challenges prevent us from being faithful to our mission. We've got to get together, folks. We've got to get it all snapped in the right place. Next week, I have a planning meeting with some people here at the church. We're trying to get it together. We're going to relaunch the mission of Valwood Park. hope you'll pray for us. Now, I've only gotten one ticket I can think of. And it's because they didn't snap my seatbelt. And, and as I see the policeman turn the lights on, I'm trying to reach for it so he can't see me. Finally I realize I'm busted. He, he walked out to my window and he says, uh, do you know why I might have stopped you today? I said, I have no clue. Over there? <laughs> Was it that guy? Um, he said, you didn't have your seatbelt snapped. And here's what he said. He said, sir, it doesn't work unless you snap it. It doesn't work unless you get it together. He gave me a ticket, not just a message. And I can't get right to your ticket, but I got to tell you, folks, it doesn't work unless we get it together. All in one direction. Stevie Wonder, that great theologian, said about the piano, Ebony and Ivory, side by side on a piano cord, piano board. Oh Lord, why don't we sit together? Years ago, I heard about a church that had split, and the church split. And there was a laughing report that said, "What was the name of the church that split?" Not, it was more than just a split. It went three fourths of the people left, and one fourth people stayed. You know the name of the church? Harmony Baptist Church. What they name the new church? Disharmony. <laughs> they didn't know how to harmonize. The church has issues. 
we sometimes disagree. Paul and Barnabas disagreed over John Mark, but they carried on, and they didn't quit. There's a story about a small country church where the pastor called a special meeting of the congregation to approve a purchase of a brand new chandelier. After some discussion, pro and con, an old farmer stood up and said this, buying a new chandelier may seem like a good idea to you, but I'm against it for three reasons. First of all, it's too expensive and we can't afford one. Secondly, there isn't anybody around here who knows how to play one. And third, what we really need is new lighting. <laughs> Don't get into argument over simple stuff. They were arguing over something that eventually they would solve. We have a mission. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, we are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others so they may see your good works and glorify the God in, in your Father in heaven. I want this for Valwood Park. For us to grow and grow and glow so when people drive by and say, so that's Valwood Park Baptist Church. That's the church, not with all the Christmas lights. That's the church with the people who love to share their faith, who love to encourage people to, to stay with the stuff and not quit. That's the church that's forgiving. That's the church that's doctrinally correct. That's the church that's morally responsible. That's the church that loves God. I want people to say that about this church. Maybe they do. The story doesn't end there. Paul practiced unity in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Paul, I believe, was in prison at this time. He said, only Luke is with me. Listen to what his next words were. Send John Mark because he's helpful to me. He got it together. Here's the next question. This is a hard one for me, and I have even a hard time saying it, and I want you to know I'm not there yet. Here's my question to you and a question to me. Who is my John Mark? Who is your John Mark? Send news to him. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate what you do mean to me. Make it right. Make it right. So I ask you this question. Who's your John Mark? Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a brother or sister in Christ. Some church member. Let's be bigger than our challenges for the sake of unity. Let's get it together. Find your John Mark and forgive them and restore them. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this message is important for us in life. This is a life message because throughout this room, all of us have a John Mark. And for the sake of unity, help us to get beyond the prison walls physically and escape the prison walls mentally and spiritually that we have in us because we are not ready to restore our John Mark. Bless us, Lord, and help our lives to be changed because we're here today. We invite people to come today that need Christ, people to join the church, some to come pray. God, give me energy to restore my John Mark. Give us grace, God. Teach us to unify for your cause and your purpose. This is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. You come. How great the